Super Fun Cast. This is episode 57. 57 full length episodes of the podcast. And I was kind of hoping we'd have more uh, other things to talk about today at the end of July rather I mean, than monkeypox. <laughs> monkeypox. The monkeypox story continues it will not die it only got stronger <laughs> so we're gonna discuss that also gonna discuss um some local shit because you might have heard that la had the mass mandate from me because i told you <laughs> um coming up allegedly maybe it was on the table <clears throat> if you've been watching me on um the the um fearlessly authentic show <laughs> on Sundays. I'm great after seven. Um I did it again. I did it earlier. I'm here earlier than last time. But it's hot again, so I had to wait until the heat was not so unbearable. Cause it's like seventy seven degrees now. <laughs> That'll do it. Um anyway There's a whole bunch of shit about the, um, the COVID cases with Barbara Ferrer, the doctor who's barely a doctor and a part-time crypt keeper of the LA public department of health, LA department of public health, whichever one. But anyway, they're in charge of everything. So basically... She was putting it out there that they were going to do a mask mandate on July 29th. If you, spoiler alert, if you haven't noticed um, in LA, there is no mask mandate yet because it did not go through. Why didn't go it go through? Well, it's kind of the advice that I've been telling you guys this whole time. Do not comply. It works. What do you know? I'm putting on the air because I can't. I can't and I won't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I tried not to. But nah, 77 degrees, give me a break. Okay, so do not comply actually works. Non-compliance works. And you know what happened is the cities themselves were like, fuck that. They're like, we don't want to do that. That brings you to the first article. I'm going to read a little bit of it. From AP about the lack of a mandate (laughs) and it's called LA County or Los Angeles County avoids new mask rule as COVID stabilizes Los Angeles County dropped a plan to impose a universal indoor mask mandate this week as COVID-19 infections and rates of hospitalizations have stabilized a top health official said Thursday they'll say that's why but we'll say why it's not that in a second, I will tell you, because that's not the whole story. It never is, is it? But 
We'll get to that in a moment. There's a narrative. Health director Barbara Ferrer said two weeks ago that the nation's most populous county could again require face masks, face coverings, <laughs> coverings. Like, you know, the other thing about it is like, they're not saying like N95s and we're going to provide them all. No, they're saying face coverings. So fucking bandana. Bandana doesn't do shit. It also doesn't do shit to make you look good. Unless you have a certain kind of face. But I've used the bandana thing because I had to eat. I had to get groceries or whatever at the time. Um, but then eventually I just said, fuck it. The only reason I, I am on Instacart is because of the mass mandate. So that was a good way for them to get me online. And I think that was part of it as well. That they wanted people to move online because they want to bring in the metaverse later, as we've talked about in the new terms. That's the whole WEF idea. <laughs> Not idea, but they're, they're going with it. Anyway, she said two weeks ago that the nation's most populous county could again require face coverings if trends in hospital admissions continued under criteria set by the U.S. CDC. Poo! On Thursday... She said the county managed to dodge imposition of the broad mask rule. The county remains at the high CDC level of community transmission, but it could drop to medium in coming weeks. Ferrer made the announcement during a briefing at which she displayed that flat and declining data graphs. She said transmission has dropped, dropped steadily since <coughs> July 23rd, potentially signaling the beginning of a downward trend in cases. Hospitalizations are also down. They're also down because she misrepresented the data. So she said that all these people were in the hospital. Yeah, they were in the hospital, but they didn't get tested until they got there because they didn't even know they had COVID until they got there. So it can't be that fucking horrible if they didn't know they fucking had it. But anyway, we're on a decline right now, and it's hard for us to imagine reinstating universal indoor masking when we're on this significant of a decline, she said. But she added that health officials would reassess things should case rates and hospital admissions spike again. Because it never fucking ends for these fucking people. While masks won't be required in most indoor spaces, she, recommend, she reminded residents that face coverings remain an effective tool to reduce spread. No, they don't. And that's not based on science. My argument is based on science because I've actually done the research. I've done the research. I have numerous articles that I brought up on Fearlessly Authentic. You can check out there that <clears throat> there are mass studies from 2020, 2015. They all say, unless it's an N95, you know, the medical masks, if it's a fabric mask, mask it doesn't work. It just doesn't work at all. There's no effectiveness. I mean, there's probably a, a minuscule effectiveness, amount of effectiveness, but these particles are so small. I can't. Anyway, as it has been for the most of the pandemic, LA County will still require masks and so some public. They keep saying that. Keep keep putting it out there. Hey, you can still go here if you want to be a masked person. Okay, thanks. The new mandate, which would have gone into effect Friday, yesterday would have expanded the requirement to all indoor public spaces, including shared offices, manufacturing facilities, warehouses, 
retail stores, restaurants, for some fucking reason, and bars, which doesn't make sense because you can just take it off to eat. And I guess they're so fucking polite, the virus particles. They're like, you know what? Continue your meal. We're giving you, you wait until you're done and we'll get back to you. Fucking idiots. Theaters and schools. That's the one that pisses me off the most because children should not be a mess more than anyone. Because one, they're the least affected group, as I've told you many, many times. And two, it's bad for their their cognitive abilities. It's bad for their learning skills to not be able to see faces. And then it talks about the BS, BS variant, as I like to call it. <clears throat> Some other stuff. Some stupid idiot. Anyway, it gets to the end. It says, The L.A. County de- cities of Long Beach and Pasadena have their own health departments that typically align with L.A. County's rules. But not this time. Both cities said this week that they would not impose requirements for face coverings. And the City Council of Beverly Hills voted unanimously, unanimously, Monday, to not adopt a mask mandate imposed by that county, by the county. And that's why they didn't comply and they had no fucking people on board and it fell apart. Another reason it fell apart, it turns out... (coughs) Other than the misrepresentation of data, there is the whole problem of her citing, of Ferrer citing a study, mask study, that turned out to be co-authored by her own daughter. So you can't make this up. I'll read that one for you. Let's see here. I just ate. It's not that I'm fucked up or anything. (laughs) I just ate. So when I just eat, um, my voice isn't the greatest, which which was a really great move for me. But it makes it more awkward, so let's go with it. L.A. County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer faces conflict of interest allegations from the CaliforniaGlobe.com. And it says, Ferrer's daughter was the co-author in a mask study despite no acknowledgement of relationship by Ferrer. This is by Evan Simon. Oh, I should say who wrote the last one. Uh, the last article was AP News, Christopher Weber, July 28th, 2022. This one is July 22nd. So this is the lead up to the decision. And we know what happened next. <laughs> so anyway, one week before an indoor mask mandate is likely to be reinstated, not anymore, <clears throat> due to reports of rising new cases and hospitalizations of COVID-19, which had fudged up numbers new allegations that's me not them (laughs) new allegations that la county public health director barbara ferrer used a study co-authored by her daughter without disclosing potential conflicts of interest has arisen adding more public anger to an already controversial move (sighs) 
For the last several months, the rise in cases of COVID-19 variants, BS, 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 blah, 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 blah. We'll, we'll skip that part. However, despite many refuting Ferrer's assessment, including the LA County Chief Medical Examiner, who called it media hype, others still support the county's public health department with businesses now bracing for a return of the mandate. I never thought I would have to put out this again, an anonymous Glendale restaurant owner told the Globe Thursday, motioning to a masking sign. We feel like we should be done with this by now. Many outlets, including the Globe and the LA Times, have covered this sentiment by the many people in the county. Yeah, LA Times has been on top of this fucking mask mask mandate thing. They've been like, yes, let's have it. Let's go, let's go, let's go. They've been like cheerleading the whole thing. But on Thursday, a new report by RedState.com found a study used by Ferrer revealed that a study the CDC relied upon for school mask mandates was authored by the LA County Public Health Director's daughter, who also is not an MD. That's what the headline read. The studies showed how masks were highly effective in curtailing the spread of COVID-19 in LA County schools, but had been co-authored by her daughter, with no disclosure showing any relationship between the two. Adding to the controversy, her daughter, Caitlin Barnes, was found to not be a doctor or have any scientific background, as Red State reported. Is that normal for a non-doctor to write a study and have it published? (coughs) Interesting. The fact that Ferrer nor Barnes did not... And Barnes... I don't want to be a stickler on the, like, grammar thing. But shouldn't I say the fact that Ferrer and Barnes did not? Because nor Barnes did not. Or the fact that Ferrer nor Barnes did disclose. Huh. The fact that... I want to fuck with this sentence. The fact that Ferrer nor Barnes disclosed their... Why did you even make it that fancy? Just say the fact that they did not disclose their relationship beforehand. The fact that Ferrer and Barnes did not disclose. Why make it more complicated? You fucked it up. Evan, we can't take you anywhere. Anyway, <clears throat> they did not disclose their relationship beforehand has, remain- has raised many alarm bells in LA County as well as nationally. Red State reported, and I think it is a fucking political, partisan political outlet. But, you know, sometimes even a broken clock is bright twice a day, as they say. So, A rash of stories, LA Times, WebMD, The Guardian, CNN, US News and World Report. Published around the time the study was released, followed the same pattern. They leave with the story of a teacher who allegedly infected 26 people by reading to her students without wearing a mask, taking care to emphasize that the teacher was one of only two unvaccinated teachers in the school. Then the the stories shift, but hey, look at this! A new study out of LA County shows that mandatory masking in schools works. Masking in schools works. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky even mentioned it in a press briefing. That's from the article. Uh, Growing controversy over conflict of interest allegations, the LA County Department of Public Health was quick to comment on the story on Thursday. 
While it did state that Dr. Ferrer has no part, had no part in the study, despite being listed in the acknowledgement section, yikes, they did not mention Barnes once, nor the complaints of the undisclosed mother-daughter relationship. The study was conducted by multiple experienced public health infectious disease experts and epidemiologists in partnership with the L.A. County Office of Education, said the department in a statement on Thursday. It came to the same conclusions, conclusion as dozens of other studies from around the world, which is that masks are effective at slowing the spread of COVID-19. Dr. Ferrer had no involvement in this study whatsoever. The research was led and carried out by respected DPH professionals and a partner agency. Many political experts were quick to criticize Barnes and the LA County Public Health Department on Thursday, noting that, at the very least, it should be looked into on grounds of nepotism. Ferrer didn't hire her daughter for this, although she had been has been hired by the county before, but in education and not public health. Because she has no business in public health. Because she's not a doctor. Like, come on. <laughs> LA-based political consultant Vera Cortez told The Globe on Friday, but a study she was a part of was used without the relationship being acknowledged. That is wrong. Even if the study is good, which now there are questions about because of this, it still shouldn't have, it should have been noted. Ferrer looks like she was hiding something now. The public health department is saying she wasn't involved in it, but it needs to expand on that since Ferrer was acknowledged in the study. Did she consult or was she merely quoted or public health info in the study approved by use by her? We need to know this if they really want to put this to bed. This isn't the end of the world for Ferrer. And this will not be anything in stopping. This will not do anything in stopping the mandate ultimately. But <laughs> a bet. But if the d details of it continue to go unaddressed, we may be looking at some bumps in the road for them in the f next several weeks. You know, how can you trust? How can we trust her over the masking mandate if she doesn't even tell the public that her close relatives have been a part of all this? It just looks bad right now. More details on the study and the fallout are expected in the coming weeks. All right. Anywho, there you go. That is that. So, that is that, and this is this. <laughs> uh, I thought I had more information on this. Let's see here. Could have sworn. Well, oh, okay. All right. So, we're going to go on to the study. Not the study, but a... Uh, misrepresentation of data from the LAC USC uh, Medical Center. So they put out a video in response to Ferrer making um, statements about the hospitalization and the case count and everything at the hospital that they thought was misrepresenting what it is. So they explained it in this little video. This little video that is on YouTube, but you can only get with a link. I'll give you a link, don't you worry. But it's unlisted, basically. This and the vaccine conference that I'm going to get to later is unlisted on YouTube. What are they hiding? I don't know. You figure it out. It might be this little part. We're going to play a part of it. 
for posterity, you know. This is like my little archive. If no one listens, at least I have like a documentation of the record of what happened during this time in this dystopia. 1256, let's go there and we'll play the clip. And you again can access it in the show notes as usual. Now these people are not completely on board with the truth. They will lie a little bit and say that vaccines are really great and everything. They're trying to get money. They work in the health industry, health. They work in medical, it's the medical industrial complex. So they work for, they work with pharmaceuticals. They like pharmaceutical companies. They're going to be pro-vaccine. That's just how it is. So we're going to listen to this part and then move on. (laughs) Cause a lot of it is just like cheerleading. Oh yeah, this is fine. Everything's great. So it's just like five minutes or so. Let's listen to it together, see what we think. I give you the stuff, and then you decide what you want to think about it. Damn it. I'm going to start early, (laughs) and then I'll turn it up. go through three graphs every Wednesday morning. The first graph, as always, shows the number of positives throughout LA County, which last week, so remember the week is Sunday to Saturday, last Sunday to Saturday, declined by about 4,000 compared to the week before. This current week through the first two days of the week, if that, if the current numbers, the first two days of the week, project out to the rest of the week, we will decline by a similar number this week compared to last week. So it does look like cases are now declining and that while there is still a lot of community transmission, there is substantially less than there has been for the last couple months. So that's reassuring. Furthermore, if we go to the middle graph, for the first time in quite a while, both countywide numbers and our hospital numbers are declining. We plateaued Last week, we had the exact same number of positive tests as the week before, projecting the first three days of this week to the rest of the week. We will have a substantial, meaningful decline compared to the last two weeks for the first time in quite a while. Finally, if we go to the last graph, which shows you not just the positive tests, but people admitted to the hospital with the positive test, the open circles are the positives admitted for any reason, which has been fairly steady for the last couple weeks. Then you look at the admissions due to COVID. Those are the filled in squares. We remain about 10% of our COVID positive admissions are admitted due to COVID. None of those people have severe COVID. Very few end up in the ICU. When they end up in the ICU, it is typically not because of COVID pneumonia triggering massive respiratory failure. We have not had one of those in quite some time at this point. So, and right now, by my count, we have approximately 45 COVID positives in the hospital, of whom five were admitted due to COVID, none of whom have severe COVID. Half of those 45 are simply awaiting placement of one type or another and actually don't need to be in the hospital at all. Dr. Spellberg, I have a question. If you look at the middle graph, yeah. 
Um, and you look at July 15th this year, and you look at July 15th last year, it looks like it's declining at the same time. Are we ex gonna expect another spike in November? <clears throat> we Before always... you answer that, let, let me just say that it is hard, just so much, so hard for all of us to try and put ourselves back a year into blackness. Yeah. But summer of last year, actually at this time, was a black time. That is correct. It was a black time because there were many patients who were quite ill with COVID. We had many people on ventilators. We were very stressed. And you can see in this middle graph, the number of positive COVID tests at our hospital is much higher than it was last year. And yet, we are not in that black time. Mm -hmm. Our hospital is not bursting at the seams with people on ventilators mm -hmm. who are critically ill. Here is the fascinating point that you're, if I could extend that point, mm -hmm. Dr. Holtham. The worst period of my medical career and I suspect, Dr. Holtham, of yours, slightly longer than mine, like slightly, was the winter of 2020. By far, never experienced anything like it was horrible. And each subsequent period thereafter has been progressively better, despite the fact that case counts have gone up. We have not encountered, even last winter, in the winter of 2021, which was bad, was nowhere near as severe as the winter of 2020. Why? Because people had immunity. And so the disease was less severe on average. We did have severe COVID in 2021, the winter, but it was not as bad as the time when we had 285 COVIDs in the hospital, most of which were due to COVID, 120 of which were in the ICU on ventilators, all of which were due to COVID. So. As you point out, we have twice the number of COVID positives right now that we had last summer, but we have less than half the number of COVID positives in the hospital than we had last summer. And last summer, the majority that were in the hospital were there due to COVID, whereas now only 10% are. Immunity works. That's the good news. Is it going to spike up again in the winter? Winter viruses tend to go up in the winter hence the name. But we can hope, we don't have a crystal ball, so we can't say with any certainty, we can hope that this progressive amelioration of severity will hold so that yes, cases probably will go up, but hopefully the severity will remain low, so hopefully it won't be as bad as it was last winter, which wasn't as bad as it was the winter before. We hope. So it turns out, you know, what you're being fed with, like fed on a daily basis <laughs> in the news, in the TV and the internet and all this stuff, all these outlets and stuff is fear porn. Like, cause the doctors are not, if the, if it was a big deal, what was happening with the spikes or whatever, the rises in the cases of the BS variant and everything, like, then we would know, then the doctors would be like, yeah, hold on a second. Like, this is a big deal. These cases are crazy right now. We're seeing people from all walks of life, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? That's not what's happening. And also, the fucking thing of the tests, the fucking, we gotta talk about the tests because we need to talk about the tests because the tests, 
how how are they effective no one has answered that no one has answered if what the rates are with false positives and negatives and all of that like no one can answer if you get tested and it turns out you you're positive how how much is this this is what i'm thinking is like if you think you're sick do you get sick if you see a false positive would you be like well damn it now i've got a runny nose and a dry cough wink wink <laughs> you know like what do you see what do you what do you is there psychosomatic shit going on like what is going on in terms of the testing because how legit is the testing like that should be the number one question that's answered before anything if you're basing this data like if you're basing these decisions on the mass mandates or whatever on the data of testing which they're going to do because they have nothing left so they're going to be like oh positivity cases this that they already do that with the like daily totals like almost globally like i could say like any city will do that like this is the testing rate how much of that is legit what's the margin of error in the testing you have that in every poll every poll you can think of you have a margin of error what is the margin of error with the testing can anyone answer that question please so there's that um and that brings us to the next topic, which is that the president got COVID last week. He got COVID. I did a whole story about it. I, I talked about it all I could on the Fearlessly Authentic. Check it out. Um, last episodes. Last episode. <laughs> we talked about the COVID and on the Rumble and the Odyssey. Because I ain't going to fly on YouTube. Even if it's the president, we don't talk about COVID here. So, unless you're shilling for vaccine companies. <laughs> but, yeah, the, he got COVID allegedly. Like, he took a test one day. It said he had it. Allegedly. I haven't seen it myself. I don't know if it fucking happened. Um, and... Then he met with his doctor. This is the story that we heard. The doctor asked, like, okay, are there any symptoms or whatever? Like, he didn't say, oh, yeah, I totally feel like blah, blah, blah. This makes sense that I got this test or I mean, that I got this result, blah, blah, blah. Then he's all like, well, you know what? I have this and I have that and I have a runny nose and I have a dry cough and, you know, my throat doesn't feel so good, whatever. And you're just making up shit, like, to be upset about, to, to justify, as I'm saying, like, justify the result that he got. How much of that is justification? If, in fact, it happened, which, of course, you know, this is the government. <laughs> like, am I supposed to believe everything they say all of a sudden? No. Um, but it was like that. And then, and the fucking meetings, at the, the briefings that they had... They kept talking about rebound COVID, rebound COVID with the Paxlovid because he has Paxlovid. He, he got Paxlovid as well as the double boosted and all that. And he still ended up with like a sore throat for like a day. 
uh, on the, like the third day or second day. I can't remember exactly when. And then uh, they were talking about in the conference, people were asking questions in the press and they would keep mentioning rebound COVID, rebound COVID. And what do we see today? What do we fucking see today? Well, what do you know? We got a press conference, press conference. We got a press release from these brilliant people, uh, allegedly his doctor. And it says right here, let me read it for you. Cause I tweeted it out from the physician to the president, 30 July, 2022. Cause we're in England. No. Memorandum for Karine, or Karen, still not sure how it's pronounced, Jean-Pierre, assistant to the president and White House press secretary. I didn't know she was the assistant. That's interesting. From Kevin C. O'Connor, D-O-F-A-A-F-P, whatever the fuck that means, physician to the president. Subject, President Biden, SARS-CoV-2 update. As described last week, Acknowledging the potential for so-called rebound COVID positivity observed in a small percentage of patients treated with Paxlovid, the president increased his testing cadence, both to protect people around him and to assure early detection of any return of viral replication. After testing negative on Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, and Friday morning, the president tested positive late Saturday morning by antigen testing, which is allegedly the one that he took the first time. This is in this in fact represents rebound positivity. How is this a fact? The president has experienced no reemergence of symptoms. Then he he isn't. Then he doesn't have it, and continues to feel quite well. This being the case, there is no reason to reinitiate treatment at this time, but we will obviously continue close observation. However, given his positive antigen test, was there another test? Because they had, they said they took a PCR and an antigen the first time. And they didn't say this time whether they, they gave him two. So, I wonder... I wonder. That's all. I have questions. They don't have answers. And I am confusion. Is all I know. That's all I know. But, anyway, continuing. He will initiate, reinitiate strict isolation procedures as a result. And there's a plan. As I've stated previously, the president continues to be very specifically conscientious to protect any of the executive residents, White House, Secret Service, and other staff whose duties require any, albeit socially distanced, proximity to him. As promised, I will keep your office updated with any changes in his condition or treatment plan. Respectfully submitted, Kevin C. O'Connor. So the thing about this book, this dude, is like, they kept mentioning him in, they kept mentioning him 
in the uh, press briefings and stuff. And the press would be like, where is this dude? <laughs> Could we see him? Could he say something to us? I'm like, no, no, he's busy. <laughs> he's a doctor, leave him alone. <laughs> but it's just so weird. I'm gonna see if I can find the clip. Oh dear. <laughs> We're gonna go through it today. Um, of that press conference that I was referencing for the rebound thing. So y'all can hear for yourself. I'm gonna have to search for it, so do give me a moment. It should be the last one that I saw. Do de do de do. A couple of days ago. Oh, by the way, uh, that video from before, uh, from the LA Med LAC USC Medical Center was from um, three days ago. Sorry. Brain fart. <laughs> All right, let's see if we can find that part. It should be near the end, I think. The mess that the last administration made. Okay. It's always about them. Yeah. Thank you, Reed. Um, I have a couple of questions, one in Argentina and another one in Mexico. Um, All right, we're going to skippy skip. You know how we about do. About excessive demand, there is more. Blah, blah, blah. Are you concerned that the administration is moving too slowly on this to declare So. Monkey box. Congress, given that it's struggled to get coronavirus funding for several months. So as, as the president said uh, the other day. Blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, the president was very clear about making sure that we provide um, FDA medications. So oh, I here have, it is. Uh, I here would have is. to check with his team got on when the last All right, time got it. we got it. Hold on. Hold on a second. On Dobbs. Uh, it really put a lot of... I don't of, know why I'm uh, telling you to hold on. And, and <laughs> women's lives at risk. My bad. Uh, and so that is something that he uh, made sure what FDA was able to do. 4740. Uh, he, uh, uh, he asked DOJ uh, to make sure that women can travel safely do when, they they cross, uh, when they cross... Uh, when I love when I find uh, something immediately and I don't waste uh, everybody's time. The best. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I don't Wait have much more <laughs> to say on the HHS funding. Uh, we again, this is something that uh, the president has been very clear in making sure that uh, uh, we do everything we can, and he put forth uh, those two uh, those two actions. Uh, when it comes to anything else, everything's on the table, and we have we'll have more to share. But I, I'm, I'm going to leave that. I'm just going to leave it there. So I don't have, uh, I would have to check with his team on when the last time he was tested. We have been clear that when he, uh, if he were uh, to test positive, we would share that and we'd be transparent. Uh, and um, uh, so we'll share that when we have that information. And then a follow-up if we have that information. We do not want to have that information. Uh, but if that were to occur, we would if be it uh, transparent, like we were uh, when he uh, when he did test positive a, a week ago, almost. And then I want to wait. Okay, let's follow up on uh, the question Kristen asked you. Uh, Democratic Congressman Dean Phillips today. Oh, I don't care about the rest. But anyway, like yeah, there you go. It was a rebound case situation. That's what they asked. The question they asked. And she kind of like precipitated everything. It's like, oh, when we have that information, we'll give it to you, blah, 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 blah. And that is what happened over the weekend. This was literally yesterday. Legit. This was 
specifically July 29th, 2022. Hmm. Amazing. And I got the timestamp for you, and I guess I'll say till 4.56, I mean 48.56 for you guys. I got the documents, I got the pictures, you're good to go guys. Alright, next. Do I want to go to monkeypox yet? No, 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 no. There's more, there's more, wait, there's more. So then we have this little video. We're gonna watch it. It's like a minute and a half. It's very short. From the Yahoo Finance, the people I love and trust the most, who are totally not collaborating with the WEF. No, no, no. That's not happening at all. Nothing to worry about there. They're also the ones talking about the recession a lot, a lot. A mighty good bit. <laughs> okay, dokes. So we're gonna get to that. Dooly dooly doo. Got my sources. Let's go. <clears throat> Next video is called. And I found it yesterday. Because it came out yesterday. Um, Biden administration plans Omicron boosters for all. So we can all be protected and get COVID twice. Allegedly. In September. Here we go. The Biden administration plans to roll out updated COVID booster shots in September. They're going to actually here with the latest on that. Uh, how much of this is aimed at combating the BA5, which is now, I think, the prominent strain. It is. It's more than 80% here and across the country. And of course, that is based on undercounting. So it could be much higher. Cases oh, could course. be much higher. We're now at more than 130,000 cases uh, is the daily so average. And that's pretty high. That Yikes. pretty much matches what we saw last summer as well. And we know that was a pretty concerning time it's almost uh, like before it's the winter seasons. really blew that out of the water. Um, the U.S. government right now has 171 million doses combined of Moderna and Pfizer and is aiming to do that bivalent. So that's a combination of the original strain and the BA5 strain uh, for I that September rollout. We know that the companies have said, however, However, uh, that they might not be able to meet that deadline. We know earlier on during an FDA uh, meeting, they did say uh, October or November is when they would have those doses available. So it's going to uh, remain to be seen whether or not they can meet that September goal. Uh, we do know that uh, that strain, you know, targeting the BA5 strain is a good strategy for now, but we don't know what variant might pop up before then. So it's a little gamble, know. but the best bet right now to do that BA5. We know that Europe is targeting Omicron, so they're basically working on two different things right now. I mean, I trust them. I don't know about you, but I fucking trust them. Please, jab me. Keep jabbing me. I'm kidding. Uh, here's a recession update. And most Americans have a similar definition of recession. Substantial job losses and mass layoffs. Businesses shutting down. Private sector activities slowing considerably. Family budgets under immense strain. In some, a broad-based weakening of our economy. That is not what we're seeing right now 
When you look at the economy, job creation is continuing. Household finances remain strong. Consumers are spending and businesses are growing. That was Secretary Yellen saying that we do not have a recession coming up. So don't cancel your plans, everybody. There's no recession. Just enjoy your life. It's all good. On that note, <laughs> I think there's another health, public health crisis that we need to talk about. We're going to get to it. But first, we got to look at the summit on the vaccinations or whatever the fuck. Uh, the White House Summit on the Future of COVID-19 Vaccines. So let me sum up. I'm going to look at one of these slides and I'll tell you what it says. So you don't have to watch it. <laughs> but you can watch it. It's four and a half hours. Good luck. But plus, eh, less than that, actually, because there's a break. So I want to say four, three and a half, maybe four hours. One of those ASIP kind of things, like the CDC or whatever videos, where they give an EUA to some random ass vaccine company so what they do is they have Fauci there and he talks unfortunately that happens and he talks about COVID-19 you know he's very familiar with it because he helped release it on the public allegedly through the gain of function research I'm just going to start singing my alleged from now on see if y'all like that um talks about the variants of concerns blah 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 shows some charts and slides Let's see one of the slides here I took a picture of one of them I'll just get the picture for you and I'll read it for you okay okay let's see here that's a bill I have to pay on the first good to know okay here we go challenges ahead this is at the, oh, how convenient, uh, 314.42, but that doesn't really help me because I was watching this live, so it will be vastly different <laughs> uh, in this version. This is also an unlisted video, by the way. It is from four days ago, which is July 26, 2022, a few days before the mask mandate did not go into effect in L.A. County. So it says challenges ahead for mucosal vaccine development because that's the next frontier. That's the whole business of this video is that they're going to go to that now. They've exhausted all these fake-ass vaccines that don't work. They're going to do another one that doesn't work, probably, allegedly. Maybe in the future. And it will be mucosal, which will be a lot less invasive, allegedly. Everything's alleged. Okay, challenges ahead for mucosal vaccine development. And he put on this little slide, lack of validated animal models, that never stopped you before, and methods to sample and quantify mucosal immune response, lack of correlates of, correlates? Correlates? Of protection, never stopped you before, potential delivery device considerations never stopped you before theoretical safety concerns for some platforms also never stopped you before unknown clinical trial designs and endpoints never stopped you before at all still ain't stopping you and 
We don't know when the fuck they're ending, but okay. Unclear regulatory path. Well, all right. Requirement for industrial partners. So that's the first thing. And then he comes down to the end and he says in his little slide at the end of his little speech speech, he says, lessons learned from COVID-19. Don't do gain of function research should be number one, but it's not. It says consistent investments in basic science led to highly effective vaccine platforms and immunogens. And except that that's not true. And clearly in this conference or whatever the fuck it's called, the summit, they admit that the vaccines weren't that great and they need better ones. Or we wouldn't even be talking about mucosal vaccines. Thank you very much. Anywho, leveraging available resources, i.e. clinical trial networks, expedited clinical trials. So the expedited clinical trials are fine with this group of vaccines candidates. Interesting. Then early partnerships with industry biotech and major investment in advanced development and manufacturing prior to definitive proof of efficacy led to unprecedented time frame for availability of safe and effective vaccines. The words you're looking for, the words he's looking for here is operation warp speed, which was a collaboration allegedly with Trump, who is also an agenda contributor, not alleged, on the World Economic Forum website, and I'll link it below. Thank you very much. I am, I am wonderful after eight. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm a lovely person to be around. Remember when this show was about comedy? Oh, those were the days. Let's laugh it up a little bit when we're looking at these yahoos. I use that term on purpose. All right, I'm going to put Donald Trump's page on here. He also has some lovely little speeches that he did as a, an agenda contributor. So y'all can check it out later. I don't know why I'm singing so much. I'm a weirdo. Not going to sing creep. Oh, kid, okay. Where was I? I don't even remember. <laughs> Where the fuck was I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the last part was cost of major investment of resources pales in comparison to the cost of a pandemic. That's interesting. Ha, ha, ha. Good one. All right, I wanted to do a quick note on the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is definitely a contributor to the warp, Operation Warp Speed as well in the development of the vaccines, which is part of their decade of vaccines, which actually goes beyond a decade because it started in 2010 and we were in 2022 last time I checked and that's 12 years. So <laughs> we're on track. Uh, basically, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has funded in some, some way every vaccine company can think of that has vaccines on the market. They funded Sinovac, they funded um, Moderna, wait, did they? I think they did. 
I'm brain farting on that one, but I'm pretty sure that's true. And then um, Pfizer, of course, and they funded Gavi. They funded COVAX, which delivers vaccines to countries that don't need them or want them. Uh, like Africa's uh, top countries, like Nigeria specifically. I think Kenya is also one of them that doesn't really want your vaccine. I mean, I think they do because I think they benefit the WEF, but I don't know if the people really want the vaccine. It doesn't really matter what they want, though. It's about the government, obviously. Anyway, COVAX is in partnership with the WHO and is from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They also um, founded, well, he founded CEPI, the Coalition of Epidemic Preparedness Initiative, which works together with Johns Hopkins and all that shit. And da, 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 the Gavi, obviously, is the, the Global Vaccine Alliance or whatever. That's what it's called now, I guess. And they did a partnership with uh, Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, agenda contributors. The both of them. No, actually, I think Boris is actually just a person. So he's not even on that level. He's got to level up. But anyway, maybe some more conversations with Klaus would do the trick. Seems to work for some people. Anywho, that was the main take. Those were the main takeaways of this specific shitty meeting. And then there's this part at the end. So I want to play the guy from Kovacs or whatever. Because he's literally, he works for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They don't, they disclose that in the thing. It's fine. Um, this is part of the panel on innovation to advent advance vaccine equity because they keep acting like everybody wants their vaccines and they're like we can't have the vaccines we need them we need them but that's not really the case i'm just gonna go to like 420 or something i can't remember exactly when he starts to really go crazy let's see i haven't seen this in a minute (laughs) I'll just go here. Different work titles, and it's very difficult for people to understand who we really are. So oh, this we is, have to acknowledge. This woman is the- very upset. Okay, we can't. We're not going to listen to her. We're going to listen to that dude. Let's go back to the dude. Can't possibly cause trouble. Maybe even an. Oh, and Francis Collins. Compromise. Francis Collins is also at this conference, uh, summit, whatever. He's there. Fauci's there. Also an agenda contributor uh, to the World Economic Forum. And also, Francis is a person. I think it's a person. I have to check. But he's in there too. He's got a page. I will. I will point out all the weffers to you guys whenever I need to. Doodly doodly do. Let's see, Francis Collins. By the way, Francis Collins. If you don't know, he works for the NIH. I gotta get close to the mic. Um, the director of the National Human Genome Research Institute as well. Responsible for the U.S. component of Human Genome Project. Hmm. They don't have his new title or whatever, but he is a person on there. Anyway, he talks a bit in, in here, but we're gonna we're gonna skip him and go to that dude. Who's this dude? Oh, this is way earlier. Okay. 
Let me get to this dude. Equation that uh, has to do. Blah, blah, blah. Things that I think are well understood in this. Where are you? I'm more excited for what's to come. So I do want to start with you, Mrs. Smith, because um, I know something. I don't. Very interesting points from you both. Cody, can I ask a follow-up question of you, which is um, this idea of how we do leverage what's in place. I mean, do you I'm sorry, but this chick is wearing a mask and she's like the only one there doing it. It looks so weird. And it's not even like a medical mask or like a normal one. She's supposed to be somewhere in this. I don't think she's in the industry or whatever. She's just a moderator or whatever. I don't know what's going on. But she is the only one. <laughs> And that's kind of funny to me. Do you foresee an opportunity with mass vaccinations with these innovative products, or is it your worry that you won't be able to get those kinds of campaigns? Oh, off the this is three fifty-three. Well, I mean, I think that um, you this know, is the dude. I was when talking we about. have a whole lot of folks coming forward in the kind of vaccine-eager space or test-ready space. Um, you know, obviously these kind of max, mass distribution sites work really well. I mean, the, the kind of dollar per person operational effort um, is efficient and it, and it works. I mean, um, of course, right now we're all pivoting towards a, an at-home strategy, right? I mean, we, we have reduced the number of drive-up testing sites in North Carolina towards a place where we're leveraging at-home pickup sites and we're obviously uh, thankful for the postal service and all of that and so what i'm excited about some of the conversations about these more novel delivery methods is how can we reduce the overall burden on the healthcare system because the other side of this is that our healthcare providers are so tired everybody is spent our workforce is incredibly drained if we can try to minimize the impact in those spaces safely i think that there's a lot of promise for some of these more novel delivery mechanisms but we have to think about that kind of end-to-end um, effort that it, it will take to do that. Thanks very much for taking that follow-up. Dr. John, I want to come back to you, actually, um, on this topic of how we innovate the delivery, right, and reduce the burden on healthcare systems, not demand so much of the systems or the citizens, for that matter. I know that you, in your current role, um, are overseeing the U.S.'s global AIDS programs, and a lot of that work uh, through our President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief um, a lot of that work has been leveraged in the global COVID response. So what's your take on how uh, we can worldwide uh, ensure the delivery of these new vaccines, uh, especially given your experience uh, in PEPFAR and new innovations for HIV? No, absolutely. The, um, I, th I think Dennis and uh, Cody also touched on this. Um, delivery will always be uh, human capital related. Uh, and that will require that we leverage on what is already available. When I hear discussions about pandemic preparedness and response, that hoover around creating some new mechanisms on uh, to put assets together, I said that, in my view, is the wrong way to go. I mean, we should be looking at how platforms that we have invested over decades, like the PEPFAR platform, can be elevated and used more appropriately to, to deliver, which is essentially supply chain management issues, workforce uh, uh, issues, information system issues, which already exist. And PEPFAR did some of that, uh, 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 quite a lot of that, didn't, um, to support many countries in, in Africa, where the, the, the sold vaccination rates for COVID increased significantly when those platforms were appropriately leveraged. 
I think that those are the kind of things that we should be uh, looking at. Uh, including community healthcare workers that played a very important role, including during the early phase of the, the COVID response where we just didn't have uh, vaccines. It was, uh, we were fighting it with the very basic public health measures, which was test and trace. And you, you deployed at that time, that I recall, uh, using um, about 20,000 community healthcare workers. South Africa did that very successfully. and. Most of those community healthcare workers are those that have been trained on HIV. So I think the task ahead of us here is really not to create uh, entirely new systems because uh, they will go to waste, mm -hmm. uh, but to leverage a system that are already uh, being used. I think that is very, very important. Mm -hmm. So I'll just end by saying that um, uh, elevating these platforms that we've all uh, known that deliver in a very impactful manner is the way to go. Not just for PEPFA, but the global fund as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks very much. And I see Denise nodding along, so it just shows the synergies here. Uh, Richard, I want to come to you, because I've heard you talk about the importance of inserting equity at the beginning, right? And I know that the work of CEPI is really focused on that, um, really looking at- Oh, my bad, it's CEPI. Uh, from the start. This so is CEPI, this guy is CEPI, my bad. into how you make your investments and decisions? Y yeah, no, thank you, thank you, Lois. Um, this is Richard, I, I was actually I was wrong uh, eager to my bad. make the observation that, you know, here we are talking about Hi, equity Jeff. at the end of a Seppi. interesting day. And, um, but that's not how we should be thinking about equity. We should be starting with equity um, equity is not a discrete goal that can be attached on to other discrete goals. It has to be a mindset, and preparedness actually also has to be a mindset, and it has to inform all of the decisions that you make. Um, just to illustrate a, a little bit about what that meant in terms of SEPI's response, our institutional response, um, SEPI was created to support vaccine development. We were actually created to address epidemic diseases. Initially, we weren't considered to be a pandemic response organization, but when COVID emerged, we jumped in. <laughs> and we jumped in by, by moving fast because emerged. we were concerned about the potential for global spread. Um, but we also were concerned about equity. We, we anticipated based on Always. our experiences during the last pandemic, which in 2009, which fortunately it was a very mild Virus, but the potential for global catastrophe was large because we did not achieve equity. Um, and we did not distribute vaccines globally until quite late in the pandemic. So as we began to gear up to develop vaccines, we actually wrote into our R&D contracts requirements for equitable access. And we actually envisioned with our colleagues at Gavi and WHO and ultimately UNICEF, envisioned a global Another allocation mechanism which funding. became COVAX. And even before COVAX existed or had a name, is, we COVAX. were writing contracts that See, were requiring our partners to, to make doses available for <laughs> the global swear. allocation facility. And, and I, I would that's just why I got um, confused, he was talking say about everything. that the, the, the root Bill causes of the inequity that we experienced in, in 2021 in particular after vaccines became available and before supplies became robust were manifold. They, they, there were things relating to the technology. I mean, cold chain uh, requirements for the vaccine were an issue. There were institutional causes. There were financing causes. There were uh, structural causes. I would say John mentioned 
the, the way vaccine manufacturing is distributed globally. And to address um, equity as a whole, we, we have to bring an equity mindset to thinking about each layer of those problems, both at the sort of holistic international level all the way down to the delivery and, and breaking through these, these barriers that specific communities or subsets of communities may encounter. And, and so that is um, how we at CEPI have, have incorporated this idea of sort of equity first mm -hmm. and then make decisions that lead towards that goal. Thanks, Richard. I, I'm hoping I can ask you a follow-up question as well, which is whether or how you all, as part of discussions around COVAX or the broader ACT Accelerator, how you all are thinking about next generation innovations and um, how that applies to what's been established or what's to come. Well, the, so, so COVAX is, is the international mechanism for procuring and taking vaccine donations and then delivering those globally, just for anyone who's not familiar with it. Um, there were a tremendous number of innovations, the ad hoc innovations, essentially, to solve problems in real time as we went along in terms of procurement, structuring advanced purchase agreements, um, setting up a, 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 a global liability and indemnification system and a no-fault compensation system that facilitated um, rapidly you know, making vaccines available in different countries and different legal environments. Um, we've, we've developed an inventory of those innovations, and again, they, they are manifold across different domains that had to be addressed uh, for COVAX to operate. And we've thought about which of those innovations um, are sort of intellectual innovations that you can, um, as the pandemic winds down or as we shift into a different mode, how you can bundle those up and have them kind of waiting to be called out again. I mean, I mean one example would be the allocation framework that WHO developed. That's, that's something that in a future pandemic, you know, we could bring down as, as, as a place to start. Other innovations or other areas where innovation is required, where we ran into really significant challenges are going to require ongoing work. Financing is, is, is one obvious example. Money. Some of that work has already begun. We need the, more money. The last area are innovations that actually now need to be embedded in day-to-day -day practice and in day-to-day -day delivery and day-to-day -day communication with communities. And um, so we've begun to think systematically about how we can capture the innovations, but also the lessons learned, um, and then think about how we can make those sustainable for the long term. Thanks very much, Dr. Hatchett. Oh dear. Anyway, I think that's Richard Hatchett, right? Dr. Richard Hatchett. I'm gonna look him up. I've first seen his name before. Dr. Richard Hatchett. Hey, Pagoda. Um, I, I blanked out. <laughs> Forgot what I was gonna say. Wait a minute. There he is. Got him. LinkedIn. Can't do anything with LinkedIn, but all right. We got an interview. Nonprofit science research place. Let's see here. World Bank. That's fun. You just look shit up and you find people. It's amazing. Blogs.worldbank.org. I'll put it in the in the show notes. Damn. Dr. Richard. J. Hatchett, MD, is Chief Executive Officer, that's who you were listening to just now, of the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, a partnership of public, private, philanthropic, 
and civil organizations that will finance and go coordinate the development of vaccines against high priority public health threats and vaccine platform technologies to respond rapidly to emerging infectious diseases with pandemic or epidemic potential. Prior to joining CEPI, Dr. Hatchett most recently served as acting director of the U.S. Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. That would be BARDA, which had a contract for Moderna. After serving for five years as BARDA's chief medical officer and deputy director. At BARDA, Dr. Hatchett oversaw programs to develop medical countermeasures against chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear threats pandemic influenza and emerging infectious diseases and led or helped lead the development of vaccines, therapeutics, and diagnostics for a number of emerging viruses, including the H3N2B and H7N9 influenza viruses, MERS, Ebola, and Zika. Previously, Dr. Hatchett served on the White House Homeland Security Council under, yes, you guessed it, President George W. Bush, one of our best and was a member of the White House National Security Staff under President Barack Obama because this war is bipartisan and so is biological warfare, allegedly. And then uh, he is a recipient of the HHS Secretary's Award for Distinguished Service and a five-time recipient of the NIH Director's Merit Award. A graduate of Vanderbilt University and the ben Vanderbilt University Medical School, he completed a residency in internal medicine at the New York Hospital, Cornell Medical Center, and a fellowship in medical oncology at U Duke University Medical Center. He's got a little post that he has from 2018, so sweet, from World Bank. Strengthening clinical research capacity to prevent epidemics. Great job. They were strengthened. You did a great, excellent job. So impressed. Ha ha ha. Tee Do I even have this in here? Shit. Don't I put this in here? I don't know where I put this. Somewhere in here. Figure it out. I'll put it in order. Uh, COVID, Summit, and then Richard Hassett, Hatchet, whatever the hell his name is. Richard Hatchet. Hatchet. I bet he has a web page. Let's find out. If he's in World Bank, I mean, I assume. I shouldn't assume, but he might be on their page. He might be on their, their, uh, in their book. Richard Hatchett. I'm sure he was at one of these events. Event 201 or whatever. Let's see. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you know? He's an agenda contributor. Richard Hatchett. You got your own little web page. Web page. Good for you. No picture, no bio. Still counts. We got him at World Bank and World Economic Forum. He's everywhere. Love that for him. In other news. <laughs> In a... No shit. I put Donald Trump in the wrong place. Oh well. Hmm. <laughs>
I'm gonna try and put this in order though. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, okay. What was I gonna say? Oh yeah, Bill Gates. So on the Bill Gates thing, you know what they're talking about financing. It was like getting financing and stuff. Well, go ask Bill Gates because he's supposed to fund you. He's supposed to fund all of his philanthropic organizations like Bill Melinda Gates Foundation. He is going to fund it. He's going to put all his money there because he's just so fucking philanthropic that he wants to money launder. Launder some money. Because when you're rich, it doesn't matter if you money launder. You get away with it. Now I had something I wanted to say about the Ukraine thing and the photo shoot with Vogue and everything. You'll just have to check out my Twitter because I just don't have time to get into every single thing that I want to talk about in this episode. Or I'll bring it up on the next Fearlessly Authentic I'm on. All good. This should be... Oh, I'm going to move this. It's going to bother me if I don't move this. Alright, y'all hold up. I'm going to move something. Cut it. And then I'll put it over here. Where are you? I can just easily like look at the fucking thing and see if it's the right thing. And it's not! Oh my gosh! Where the fuck is this conference? Uh, the summit. Oh, you know what? I didn't go there. That's the dumbass move here. Okay. I gotta go to the summit. Fuck. Well, we'll get to that later. Uh, I'll put it in here. COVID summit video <laughs> here. <laughs> you get to hear what I'm doing for myself, for organizational purposes. On that note, <laughs> let's skip to monkeypox. I know you all are dying to hear about the, the thing that I talked about before and put in the title. It's monkeypox. It's back. It's very dangerous. No one's died from it, but it's still very dangerous. Believe me. And this is completely unrelated news that I'm going to tell you from... I talked about this whole thing on... Um, on the the Fiercely Authentic show the whole cameras that's happening where they put in cells from an, one species of animal into another species preferably human where they put the human cells and the animal cells together and mix it up and make a fun little pie or whatever but anyway they're just doing it for shits and giggles because they don't really keep the embryos. They just let them die and shit. So that's fun. They're just killing animals, like putting them together and killing them. Super nice. Um, so, basically, getting into that, I'll read you an article that is totally unrelated. This is totally unrelated to the monkeypox agenda that's happening. Uh, this is from April 22nd, 2021. This is a year before um, the first case 
that is just so insane that is so unprecedented of monkeypox in a country that you don't expect it in that was literally a year and some change later okay science and nature this is from wttw.com something to do with npr it's got the little faces and shit science and nature u.s chinese scientists grow monkey embryo with human cells but why <laughs> i think i know why but because <laughs> they can because <laughs> they want to justify it because they have the authority to do so anywho for the first time scientists have been able to successfully grow monkey embryos containing human cells. Researchers at the Salk Institute for Biological Studies in California, working in collaboration with Chinese scientists, grew the embryos in a dish with some surviving up to 20 days. In another article, it says 19 days, but I guess this is correct. Their research, published last week, immediately ignited debate over the ethics of such an endeavor and sparked fears of human-monkey hybrids. Which is not what they're called. They're called chimeras. Get it together. But in Su Hyun, a leading bioethicist at Case Western Reserve University in Ohio and the director of research ethics at Harvard Medical School, so you know he's legit, says such fears are misplaced. Then they did a little Q&A with him. They said, as a bioethicist, when you heard about the, what these researchers have done, did it raise any ethical concerns for you? He says, I had known about the study as it was ongoing for quite some time, so it wasn't a situation where I, along with everyone else, read the news and reacted to it. I had quite a bit of time to process what was going on and to understand the rationale for the research. In my role as a bioethicist for the International Society of Stem Cell Research, I had known about it for a couple of years. I can certainly see how, many, how for many people, when they hear this news for the first time, it is quite shocking. I definitely understand that. My perspective is starting from a much earlier point and having a longer time to think about it. I have more background than the average person about this area of science, so I can understand why they wanted to do it. These are teams who are also involved in a very aspirational goal of eventually one day, who knows when, developing human transplantable organs in livestock animals that are normally raised for food, sheep and pigs. I've known for years that that research has stalled out because the human cells do not survive and do not proliferate in the pig or sheep embryo. For this organ transplantation work, what they had to do was to take the embryo of, for example, a pig that has had its ability to make, say, a pancreas or a liver or anything of interest disabled. And then that void is filled with human stem cells that will make a human-specific organ in, organ in the animal. Not animal. Why do they want to do that? <laughs> That's the question. Because bioengineers don't know how to make an entire human organ outside of the body, but nature somehow knows how to build these things during pregnancy. So when they transferred the human stem cells into the embryos of pigs or sheep, they didn't last long. And that is understandable because pigs and sheep are so evolutionarily remote from humans. Then why even fucking try? I knew about these frustrating failures and I knew that they needed need to better improve strategies for cell survival of human cells and another species. So it was not surprising to me that to optimize their approach they wanted to use a much more closely related species such as a monkey. Just, not for gestation or to attempt to grow an organ in a monkey but just to st 
study how the cells talk to one another across different species. Just for shits and giggles. You say the researchers have been very mindful of regulations and ethical issues. What regulations actually can govern this kind of research? Do regulations vary from country to country, or is there international regulation of this kind of research? There is with a T-H-E-R-I-R. It's spelled T-H-E-I-R. Or is there international regulation of this kind of research? I'm pretty sure they meant T-H-E-R-E. Why can't people spell? Okay. Anyway. Oh, fun fact. NPR is co-funded. Co-funded. Is funded partly by the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation. Anyway, bye-bye. Back to the story. This type of research involves two types of oversight. One is for the use of animals for biomedical research, and the other is in relation to the use of human stem cells for biomedical research. There are international standards for both. There are international standards for the humane treatment of animals for research, and all of the facilities involved in the study were part of this international standards network. So they had to make sure that the sperm and the eggs were humanely derived from donor monkeys. And they were. No monkeys were harmed in the process of procuring the sperm and the eggs. The sperm and the eggs were united in a dish the way they should be. So the removed sperm and eggs never went back into a monkey's body. It stayed in the dish. Next step was to use human stem cells. For the human stem cells step, there has to be oversight and standards met for the use of human stem cells in experiments, even in experiments that only happen in a dish. So for that, we have the International Society for Stem Cell Research, which has guidelines. Both institutions involved in this research, the Salk Institute of California and the Primate Research Center in China, had careful review of this work, including the executive directors of both institutions. Normally, the executive directors don't get involved in reviewing protocols. The Salk team also consulted with well-known bioethicists, not me, but people I know, in the design of this. Not only did they follow the animal research guidelines, but they went above and beyond by involving the directorship of the institutions and external bioethics advisors. Some articles seem to imply that because this is a joint project between American and Chinese researchers, it was taking advantage of less stringent Chinese regulations regarding this type of research. From what you've said, it sounds like that's not the case. Wow, way to put some words in his mouth for that question. Way to assume, way to, you know, placate to the person you're interviewing, but all right. Yes, there's a very good reason why the leading, it was a leading question, that's the lawyer turn. Okay, there's a very good reason why the American team wanted to collaborate with this group in China. One, they have the facilities and the expertise to deal with monkeys where you have to remove sperm and eggs for insistive reproductive research like IVF. There are few facilities that have enough monkeys and the right conditions for their care. They are few and far between in the U.S., but probably more importantly, the reason they wanted to collaborate with the Chinese was that there is a researcher there was there there that there is a researcher there who was able to con- culture monkey embryos for 20 days, longer than anyone has ever done before. So they needed this help, his help. That expertise doesn't exist in the U.S., so it wasn't a case of trying to skirt any rules. These rules are international, so you can't really escape them by going to another country. Tell that to the ones who were doing gain-of-function research. 
illegally. All right, allegedly. From what you've said, the idea is not to create a human-monkey hybrid, but to better understand how the cells of human, damn it, the cells of different species communicate with each other, and then using that knowledge to make, for example, the experiments that have been done with pigs work. That's correct. You led me correctly. <laughs> That's what he said in his head. And just to clarify the terminology, some people have been calling these hybrids, but they are not hybrids because hybrids would be a 50-50 split of two species by in uniting the sperm and the egg of two different species. These techniques create what are called chimeras, that are far from 50-50. That's just transferring a few human cells into another animal and hoping these cells to, will integrate. And of course, depending on how many cells you transfer, you'll get varying percentages of human contribution. We're not talking close to anything like 50-50. In the case of the monkey embryos in this research, they got up to a maximum of 7% human cells contributing to the embryo. This story has attracted a lot of interest because of the sci-fi movie scenario aspect of this, Planet of the Apes or the Island of Dr. Moreau, etc. But from what you have said, the reality is far from that. Stop leading them! It's so infuriating. That's what makes it a great news story, because people are so interested in it and wondering, why are they doing this? And then you realize there is actually a humanitarian angle to this. Everybody knows somebody who suffers from some kind of organ failure. Actually, I don't. So, bye. Anyway. Are there any issues of experimentation on primates versus other animals such as pigs and rats? Are different ethical concerns raised when it comes to primate research versus research on other animals? Are there different regulations and guidelines depending on what kind of animals you are using in your research? This bullshit was so fucking pre-planned and pre-asked. I can't. Okay. Yes, there are. Funny you mentioned that. Uh. The more complex the animal species is, the more scientifically justified the study has to be and the closer scrutiny it deserves. So monkeys are going to be the highest form of animal you can use in, bio in medical research. And by monkey, we aren't t typically talking about apes, gorillas, chimpanzees, etc. What we are talking about is a little bit further away from humans than that. These are all non-human primates with tails. Are they all non-human? But all right. <laughs> Macaque, I don't know how to pronounce that. Monkeys, rhesus monkeys. These are typically monkeys that are un that under the right justifications are used for biomedical research. We cannot use chimpanzees, gorillas, orangutans, the great apes. We cannot use them for invasive biomedical research. You can do behavioral studies, but you can't do anything invasive that would hurt them. They have protected status. And in some European countries, great apes actually have personhood status. There are people in countries that don't have personhood. Wow. Um, so on that note, like, like, okay, there are monkeys. Some monkeys are better than other monkeys and are more protected than other monkeys. So they are really like us now, aren't they? Because they have protected classes, allegedly. Not really, allegedly, because he just said it. And I believe him, because he's a bioethicist, goddammit. Right? Okay. What about fears that a rogue scientist might go too far? <laughs> okay. There is always that concern of people breaking the rules and going rogue, like Fauci, allegedly. In this case, what I think, for me, is of ethical concern is not so much that somehow human dignity has been harmed 
by crossing the line too far for that or that any human being is somehow worse off. It's rather the well-being of the animal that is used itself. I'm more concerned about the welfare of the more intelligent animals used for biomedical research. So he doesn't care about the dumb ones. Good to know. And if they are used in an unjustifiable way, then that is the waste of life and brings unnecessary burden and suffering to, on the animal. So when I worry about some kind of rogue work, I'm actually more worried about the actual physical treatment of the animal. But not if they're dumb. Only if they're really, really smart. They're just the smart ones that he cares about. Funny that. So yeah, this is unrelated. <laughs> Completely unrelated to uh, the fact that the monkeypox outbreak happened according to the WHO because they know everything they're so smart they're smarter than all of us um, so they on May 21st 2022 said May 13th 2022 since that cases of monkeypox have been reported to WHO from 12 member states that are not endemic for monkeypox virus across three WHO regions. And then they say, based on currently available information that hasn't changed yet, cases have mainly, but not exclusively, been identified amongst men who have sex with men. MSM! We have a new fucking acronym now. Seeking care in primary care and sexual health clinics. So basically they were saying like here, and I have another little thing about that from CDC. I looked up monkeypox and AIDS and ended up with this. Where is it? I think I changed it to Richard Hatchet, but I'll go back to it. Monkeypox AIDS. Cause there's, there's some interesting parallels here in what we're dealing with. I think I put this in here. Yeah. This is the last thing I wanted to talk about is monkeypox. This is the most important thing to everyone because it's a public health emergency according to the WHO's Tedros who decides everything. He's a dictator, so listen to him. Anyway, considerations for people with HIV, monkeypox. This is updated July 21st, 2022. From CDC's website. Who this is for? Healthcare professionals providing care for people with HIV. What this is for? Considerations for the care of people with HIV, including prevention and treatment of monkeypox virus infection. How to use. This information is intended as an aid. <laughs> Sorry. For healthcare facilities and healthcare professionals developing plans for monkeypox virus infection treatment and prophylaxis for people with HIV. Key points, people with advanced HIV or who are not virologically suppressed with antiretroviral therapy can be at increased risk of severe disease related to monkeypox virus infection. Post-exposure prophylaxis and antiviral treatments are available for persons exposed to monkeypox or with monkeypox virus infection. Vaccination with the one we want. Geneos is considered safe for people with HIV. Hey, have this drug. We're drug dealers now. 
and antiviral treatments have few interactions with antiretroviral therapy. These considerations are based upon limited evidence. Bingo! Limited evidence available to date about monkeypox virus. You think they know everything about it the way they talk about it all the fucking time and fear porn about it. They might get rid of porn soon. We'll see. I doubt that. These considerations are based upon limited evidence, again, available to date about monkeypox virus infection in patients with HIV. The approaches outlined below are intentionally cautious until additional data become available. So just believe us for now, because we'll be wrong later, but we were wrong before and you accepted it. So just accept it this time. In other words. In other words, I hate you. Anyway, monkeypox in people with HIV. Available summary surveillance data from the European Union, as well as separate reports from Portugal, Spain, and England report that 30 to 51% of patients with monkeypox for whom HIV status is known have HIV. Regarding infection risk, it is currently unknown whether HIV alters e.g. increases a person's risk of acquiring monkeypox disease after exposure. Regarding illness after infection, the available data indicate that people with advanced and uncontrolled HIV can be at a higher risk of severe or prolonged disease. In a 2017-18 to 18 case series of 122 Nigerian patients with monkeypox, Four of the seven deaths occurred among persons with untreated advanced HIV. However, information was absent about the overall proportion of patients who has HIV, had HIV to determine if this mortality was disproportionately, disproportionately large. A second 2017-18 case series, also from Nigeria, their favorite place to go, included nine people with HIV for whom clinical data relevant to HIV status were provided. CD4 cell counts ranged from 20 to 357 cells per mm, not a doctor, just like Bill Gates, and most had either failed antiretroviral therapy or were newly diagnosed, suggesting a lack of viral suppression. Compared with other patients, those with HIV had higher rates of secondary bacterial infection more prolonged illness and therefore also and thereby also longer period of infection of infectiousness as well as a greater likelihood of a confluent or partially confluent rash rather than discrete lesions discrete in contrast reports from european countries where most patients are on effective art antiretroviral therapy have noted no deaths or evident excess in hospitalizations thus far among people with HIV and monkeypox. So even, so putting the fear porn in perspective, even HIV patients are not dying from monkeypox. It's so fucking dangerous. We have to watch out for it. Get the vaccine. No one's died. Okay. Just putting it out there. Additionally, the WHO has stated that people with HIV who take antiretroviral therapy and have a robust immune system have not reported a more severe course of disease. 
Signs and symptoms. The signs and symptoms of monkeypox virus infection are similar in people with or without HIV. What do you know? Including characteristic rash, fever, and lymphadenopathy. For immunocompromised people, monkeypox virus infection may present with atypical manifestations or more severe illness, e.g. sepsis, disseminated rash. Monkeypox disease is characterized by an incubation period, prodrome, what the fuck is that, and rash. For full details, please see clinical recognition. Incubation and prodrome, it is not known if people with HIV have different characteristics regarding the incubation or prodromal phase of virus, I mean illness, sorry. Uh, Illness, uh, immunocompromised persons including persons with advanced HIV or untreated HIV, may present with an atypical rash, including a disseminated rash, which may make diagnosis more challenging. In one study, people with poorly controlled HIV were more likely to have genital lesions and a confluent or partially confluent rash, as opposed to discrete lesions. Additionally, people in the study with poorly controlled HIV were more likely to have prolonged disease. I mean, damn it, illness. Differential diagnosis. Monkeypox virus infection should also be considered when evaluating for other causes of rash, including herpes zoster or shingles, which is kind of a symptom of the vaccine sometimes, allegedly. Anyway, scabies, molluscum, the other vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, uh, molluscum contagiosum, herpes, syphilis, chancroid, oh, I can't say any of the rest of them. Anyway, uh, monkeypox can be confused with disseminated herpes zoster or herpes simplex virus infections. These herpes virus infections more commonly affect persons with immunocompromising conditions, especially disseminated herpes zoster. Therefore, to establish a diagnosis for immunocompromised persons who present with a rash, clinicians should conduct a thorough history to assess for possible monkeypox exposures or epidemiologic risk factors, perform a complete physical examination and order lab testing. Co-infections with monkeypox and sexually transmitted infections have been reported, therefore a broad approach to testing is recommended, including STI testing testing. Then it says treatment. As noted earlier, severe outcomes have been observed in people with inadequately treated HIV who have CD4 counts, something or other, 350 mm, and are likely not virologically suppressed. However, the available data are presently insufficient to define actionable thresholds. Until more is known, clinicians should exercise clinical judgment to assess the extent of immunosuppression from HIV or any other sources and the risk for severe monkeypox illness. And then it says managing them, blah, blah, blah. And then it, you know, we got to have the treatment options. So they go straight to the vax, T-pox. You'll hear a lot about T-pox now, because they're going to talk about it a lot. Anyway, drugs, drugs, drugs. Get your drugs. Everybody, take your drugs. Here's another drug that won't work and make you feel worse. Enjoy!
speaking of which, I looked at monkeypox AIDS that came up first, and then we have this wonderful article from Stat News from June 2022, which I'll put in the show notes. And it says, the headline is, how the hard lessons of the AIDS crisis are shaping the response of the monkeypox outbreak. If you haven't heard, everybody's homophobic. So proceed carefully because everyone's homophobic. The government's homophobic for not giving everybody T-pox. So, you know, like, how about this This whole thing is homophobic? How about the response? No, the, the fucking fear porn is homophobic. The fact that they're targeting gay people and bi people and all that stuff. They're targeting men who sleep with men, as they say. Again, just like they did with HIV and AIDS, which are not the same thing, allegedly. Allegedly. But anyway, this is just a redux of history. Like, it's, it's a repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. But let's see what they're... The thing is, also, they were talking about AIDS and they were talking about monkeypox also in that uh, summit that you didn't hear all of. But they did mention it. Like, this is the new thing they're going to put vaccines on the market for. Like, this is just, it's literally monkeypox. It's not monkeypox. It's monkeypox. They're making money. They want money. It's all about money. Capitalism. Yay. Okay, so this, here's the article. So this dude says, I should say who the dude is. This dude is, and this is the last thing. Jason Mast, June 8th, 2022. Again, stat news. I'm not reading the whole fucking thing. But yeah, it also started in Africa. AIDS started in Africa. Like, funny that, right? Whatever. And could be man-made. Like, there's a lot of questions about that. Anyway, the notion that HIV in this article, like, a little further down, was a gay plague, a moniker unfortunately attached to the virus by the gay press, who were the first to cover the disease in 1981, dogged the response to this disease from outset. The virus was ignored by the mainstream press for years. I remember that. I mean, I wasn't really into it. <laughs> I was barely alive, but yeah, I heard about it. Um, except when cases were reported in women, children, or heterosexual men. Because it goes to them, guys. It starts, they're going to start, they, they target a certain person, a certain group. They target a group of people, the older people, with the COVID, remember? And then they targeted the young people with the COVID. And then they got the vaccines for the young people. And then the younger people. Like, that's how it goes. However much money they can get, they will target everyone, eventually. It just starts with this group of people. So that we can have a divide and we can have people going back and forth about it. And then it'll go to the heteros. The heteros. Sorry, I called y'all heteros. Heteros are next. And then the ones like me who don't even do the sex and all that shit. Or touch anyone. Ever. <laughs> We're golden. <laughs> They're never going to get us. We don't touch anybody. What you going to do? Put it in the air? They might do that. They might go after everyone. That's. It's within the realm of possibility. That's all I'm saying. I'm going over. I apologize. I wanted this to be an hour and a half. It's not going to be. Get over it. Anyway, moving on. The virus was ignored by the mainstream press for years, except when cases were reported in women, children, or heterosexual men. 
The first time the Reagan administration was asked about it, his press secretary jeered, I don't have it, do you? Funding levels remained a fraction on a per-death basis or of what they were so f- shit for far smaller outbreaks like Legionnaire's disease. By, NA- fuck. By NIH budget calculations, the life of a gay man was worth about one quarter that of a member of the American Legion. The journalist Randy Schultz concluded in the band played on a history of the AIDS crisis. As the first reports of the monkeypox outbreak spread, with, re- with articles talking about sexual transmission or a newscaster speaking luridly about homosexual sex, some, ad- some activists and clinicians feared an 80s redux. Hey, I said redux. Don't copy me, damn it. The lead on a lot of articles was highlighting cr- clusters of mon- monkeypox sorry, happening in gay men, said Waguma K. Titanji, I tried, an infectious disease physician at Emory. And that in itself just begins to imprint on sort of the mind of the general public that this is not something that affects me. Not yet. It will, though. (laughs) If we're looking at history, it will. The risks would be significant. In addition to potentially fewer resources being devoted to the outbreak or symptomatic individuals being less likely to seek medical care, that perception could put LGBTQ people at direct risk, said Coletzo Macofani, I'm not even trying that one, fellow at Harvard's FXB Center for Health and Human Rights. Macofani, who co-authored with Titanji an essay in PLOS Global Health titled Monkeypox is Not a Gay Disease, pointed to the rise in legislation criminalizing gender-affirming care for transgender people. That's where you lose me, because this isn't about them. Like, not everything is about them. No offense at all. But this is about gay men. This is about men having sex with men. This is not specifically about that. I mean, eventually it it could be about that because it'll be about everyone, as I said. But this is another way of, like, changing the conversation to something that's not the conversation. So, anyway, they talk about that for a while. It's pretty stupid. AIDS crisis stuff. Blah, blah, blah. AIDS, 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 everyone's got AIDS. Remember it? Uh, Then they talk about Rochelle Walensky. Interesting. CDC now includes many HIV specialists. Isn't that interesting? Including director Rochelle Walensky, who has emphasized the broad public threat monkeypox poses. Her messaging is pitch perfect, said Craig Gonzalez. A former ACT UP activist, oh, those are the, that's the group that was against Fauci back in the day. They're not going to talk about that in the article, I'm sure, but it was true. Oh, no, not lockstep. I saw lockstep. Uh, and now a professor at Yale, adding it clearly, is informed by her decades worth of experience in HIV AIDS care and policy. Although there were, although there have been many, <laughs> although there have been, damn it. Although there have already been disagreements, got there, most notably over the CDC's centralized testing policy, the groups have largely worked in lockstep to try to, this is the thing, to educate the community with the agency relying both on NGOs, and those are always good, and commonly used apps like Grindr to reach people who might not tune into a Walensky press conference. I can't. Oh, dear. Okay, and then we move on, move on. She's perfect. We love her. 
another act up an activist these are the ones who became dumbasses so they believe everything that people tell them now i guess love that for them uh blah 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 let's go back to the, we'll go to the end all right uh it ends this way on a call last week between the white house nih and cdc officials and representatives from around 70 communi community groups Staley open he's one of the act up ass, uh, activists activists um, open by thanking the administration for hosting the call and then he pondered aloud imagine if the white house had convened to a small similar group in 1981 how different things might have been for a moment the line fell silent that's how you end the okay well that was a way to end it <laughs> And Helen Branswell contributed reporting, so maybe some of the more uncomfortable, weird parts were her. Anyway, that's the propaganda for monkeypox. It is the year of the monkey, as the title suggests, because China and U.S. are collaborating in many projects that are going to help society and have done so, obviously. And um, I'm looking forward to see what they come up with next. What are they going to cook up in a lab next? I don't know. We'll see. But it's been fun. And I'm going to put a thread that I didn't really get into all the way. But it speaks for itself. So you can just look at the information. I have a little bit of information. I'll say. Fuck. So you remember what happened like a, a little while ago. Where they had like a truck full of 100 monkeys. And they fell out. <laughs> And there was a whole big mess about that in Pennsylvania. So there was a monkey crash. A, mo a crash with a truck with 100 monkeys. Totally normal. This was in January of 2022. January 2nd. Tw January 22nd. And they car the truck carrying the animals crashed with a dump truck in the afternoon in Montour County. Pennsylvania State Police Trooper Andrea Pelichick told the Daily Item. And that's the the website that I got this from. So there was a fucking crash and three died, I think. Somebody died. Who died? No, 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 nobody died. I don't know why I said that. Never mind. Sorry about that. Three oh, wait, here it is. State police said in a news release the three monkeys initially reported missing have been found. Oh, they were missing and then they were found. I'm so glad they were. And this was just in January 2022. And then I'm not correlating anything. <laughs> but the monkeypox thing was in May 2022. What were these monkeys being used for? Obviously biomedical research, right? So, who knows? Anywho, it doesn't even say what kind of monkeys it is. It's so weird. Were they rhesus monkeys? We don't know. Anyway, that's what happened. And so... Watch out for the monkeypox. Don't touch anyone because they don't want you to touch anyone because you should be online all the time for the metaverse. That's what they want. Do what they want. No, don't comply, actually. Don't comply. Don't let the fear of porn get you. Nobody has died. <laughs> they could change that, obviously. They'll die of something and then they'll say it's monkeypox, just like they die of something. They call it COVID, right? COVID related death. We did that episode a year ago. Check it out. Um, great episode. One of my faves. Sad, but poignant. 
most of my episodes are sad points, which is sad. And then also predictable, predicted, predictive. I'm doing predictive programming because I'm looking at the programming and telling you what's being predicted. So I'm, I'm kind of contributing in a way, which is weird. I'm going to go have some tea. I hope you guys have a lovely weekend. Weekend? It should be Sunday. Go out and have fun. <laughs> Remember that the internet is not all that there is in the world. Remember that social media is a divisionary, divisionary, div, div, divisive is the word, a divisive um, social engineering psyop that we give into from time to time. So there's that, that that's fun. Um, so anyway, buck up. Get out. Touch people if you want to touch them. Don't have orgies. Probably. Probably just good common sense not to have an orgy. I mean, what do you get out of it, really? You know, other than the STIs. Which are, you, they used to be STDs. So we're, things are looking up. STDs to STIs. We can live with it. <laughs> we can live with anything. That's what we've learned. Watch out for the monkeys. I love you all. I don't know why I kissed you. That was awkward. Anyway, watch the show. Fearlessly Authentic. I'm on it sometimes. And catch the next episode in August for whatever shenanigans we're going to go through then and throughout the world. We did not even get to Ukraine. Like, we can't even do the whole fucking photo shoot. I wanted to talk about it. Oh, I want to. Next time. I will talk about it somewhere else, but check me out there. So thank you again. I'm vamping. <laughs> I want to get to 154 because I don't like odd numbers. Is that weird? I'm weird. Whatever. It's fine. It's good to be weird. It's good to stand out. Keep standing out. My pros and my hoes. <laughs> I said bros and hoes. Bros can be hoes too. Fair enough. Bye, guys and gals.